Saw you flying on that PJ, my man. You should fly Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. rather crash than fly Spirit. Wanna make that paper? Wanna make that dough? This is the affiliate marketing show. Wanna make that paper? Wanna make that dough? This is the What is up, everybody? It's Josh coming to you with another episode of the Affiliate Marketing Show. Let's just talk about that intro theme song. We all know that's the best theme song in the game. Today, we have a very special guest, Brandon Bowski. What's up, Brandon? What's going on? How we doing, man? Where are you, where are you talking to us from today? Dude, uh, out in Vegas. I just recently relocated, and I'm not mad at it. You know, yeah. Great. There's nice, close to the mountains, close to the beach. You already pissed your neighbors off. You're doing good. Yeah, yeah. We already made the local news, you know, all the stuff. Lowering it- property values <laughs> <laughs> of the neighbors, yeah, dude. You know, it was actually a real estate strategy. I saw the market starting to slow down, and I said, You know what, dude, if I can just lower everybody's property values by painting my house, I'll buy up everybody's stuff on a steal, and then we'll just paint the house gray and flip everything. It's gonna be great, <laughs> Brandon. Do it. you uh, you hit a lot of the uh, conventions and trade shows in Vegas now that you're there, or you don't do those too much? No, honestly, dude, I love trade shows. They're the greatest excuse to like, I always say there's a lot of guys that go to them to get away from their wives. I go to them for like literally any reason. I'm like, oh, there's a trade show, not even remotely close to anything I'm involved in. Sounds great. I'll be right over. <laughs> yeah, <that's good. laughs> what I've noticed like though it. is living in Vegas, your friends tell you when you're in town or when they're in town rather. So like, you'll find out a day's notice that there's a trade show you didn't even know exists. You're like, Wait, hold on a second. For waste management, they have the little, there's a trade show for what type of thing picks up the trash can. That's a show. They rent out a whole, what? Like 36,000 people? Okay. I'll- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how many of those are decision makers? All of them. Brandon, uh, this is the first time like me and you are meeting each other and your reputation kind of precedes you. I know that you've been uh, called the king of ACA. And honestly, personally, I only know a little bit about ACA. I'd love for you to give us a little bit about what ACA is, how it works, how you got involved in it, and just kind of do a deep dive for us. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of t- subtopics will come up from there, but tell us a little bit about all that with you. So, um, you know, ACA has been around. It was signed into law, I believe, in 2012, I want to say. And in 2015, I think it got its first crack. It was like most programs, um, not managed as well as it could have been. There were a lot of issues with uh, commissions and there were a lot of issues with agencies getting set up properly. Back then, it was just such a new thing. And so a lot of people were deterred and they were like, yeah, we don't want to do this. Um, the commissions were also really low compared to some of the alternative products or previous like private products that existed. So, you know, if you were to go from selling you know, a Blue Cross plan the year prior to a Blue Cross plan in ACA, it was like, whoa, what happened to all my money? So people started looking for other stuff to sell. Um, a lot of guys migrated um, to Medicare. A lot of guys migrated to life. And I actually, I have not been in this business that long. Um, I've been in the business since 2016. And I had a failed internet startup that was embarrassingly bad. And uh, after that subscription box idea failed, I was like, man, what the hell am I going to do? And I was actually living in my car. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, I was, I was about to say the same thing. Can you, can you tell us what that makes? Oh. What was in the box? So 
so in uh in 2011 to 2015 i was in the electronic music space and i loved it it was awesome got to play a lot of shows got to travel managed some cool artists uh some of which are huge still today which is dope but um yeah i had this idea and it wasn't my idea so i won't take credit for the failure i'll just take credit for the poor execution and the, the fact that i allowed it to happen a buddy of mine, my best friend at the time for like years, calls me and goes, dude, I got this great idea. And I'm like doing medical sales and running a restaurant. And I'm like, okay, what's your great idea? And he's like, okay, Dollar Shave Club, but make it rave. And I was like, Dollar Rave Club? <laughs> so, <laughs> I love you, Basky. Holy shit, how am I learning? So is this like monthly glow stick delivery? <laughs> Almost. So it was a quarterly um, it was a quarterly subscription, and the goal was I think maybe it was monthly. I don't know. It was bad. So the idea was we were going to get like collaborators uh, in the form of artists, management companies, um, you know, companies that made bracelets, all types of crap. We were going to throw it into a box. We were going to sell it at a markup, and we were going to get people on this recurring model where they were really excited to get a bunch of cool stuff. And it was all going to be like you know one of one for this particular project. So we were pretty excited. We went back and forth. I tried on a lot of clothes out of Asia that ended up being like four sizes too small. Uh, turns out extra large is actually extra small. They do things a little different there where the time zones are quite opposite. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we did really well. I think we got like half a million organic views just from like relationships and blogs and people I knew in our first day. And if anybody guesses right the number of sales, I'll give you a grand right now. Zero. No. Four. Come on, Josh. Uh, 25,000. 17. And <laughs> at approximately... <laughs> approximately 17 February, or 17,000? 17. 17. And at approximately yeah. uh, 2 p.m. on February the 3rd of 2016, I realized we were out of business. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we, uh, we dissolved that. And I had a falling out with a couple of my friends. And, uh, yeah, I was, like, living in my car. And somebody said to me, oh... Dude, you got to try this uh, this insurance thing. We're doing Medicare, and I'm like, okay, yeah, th that's Greek. You want to speak English to me when you talk to me on the phone, please? So he's like, yeah, it's great. You enroll these uh, you enroll these guys. They don't really. It's like the easiest thing ever. It's not even like sales. I'm like, okay, easiest thing ever. That sounds good. What's the deal? Well, you make like fifty grand your first year, and by year five, you're making like a couple hundred. And I'm like, wait, I got to go back to making fifty grand. I've never made fifty grand a year in my life. Like, what the hell am I supposed to do? top ramen i mean this is i'm living in my car and i made one brand but i helped out my family and stuff like that so i'm like okay um yeah it's not gonna fly so i was doing these call center like startups where i would go to a call center and be like hey you suck your systems suck you don't know how to use a dialer you don't know how to get leads and you don't know how to train agents let me do all those things for you and every like couple weeks i'd go without a job and then i would have a gig for a few weeks and i would do a good job and work my way out of a job it was a very stupid idea i should have done an okay job and kept the job Instead, I did a very good job and lost a job every three weeks. Um, and so I was finally just like, all right, forget this. And I had a, a really, really rough week where I ate a multigrain roll from Walmart because I couldn't afford to buy it. And a seed got stuck in my tooth. And I was like, okay, great. Now I've got like a nerve that is forcing my eye to cry for five days. Uh, ended up borrowing some money, got my tooth fixed and was like, okay, I'm going to try this insurance thing because killing myself is not as good as insurance probably. So uh, I go get an insurance license in like five days. And I'm like, dude, there's got to be something else I could do with this thing. I hear a lot of people make money in insurance. So I look it up and uh, I find that there's, you know, a lot of health insurance opportunities. So I'm like, let me try this stuff. 
And there are all these like alternative products for people that don't meet the mold of like an Affordable Care Act policy. And a lot of people like sell them improperly, which I've learned over the years. But the people that do them right, um, you know, short term medical products and limited benefit products for people that only have certain needs, they actually do make sense. So I started this company, uh, grew it from like 30, 40 people to over a couple hundred uh, domestic. And we had like 150 offshore, which is really cool. Uh, got into a pay dispute, left, started my own thing and uh, had what I think, unless I'm crazy, was like dollar for dollar, the most profitable health insurance agency that's ever existed. And what we did was we focused on selling high commission products with high tickets. Everybody else was focused on like $200 plans and we were focused on $512 average premiums. So my revenue was through the roof. I had no partners. I was young. It was great. I mean, young, I'm 30 now, but uh, it was awesome. And we did really, really, really well. The problem was my agents would hang up on guys that had 200, 250 bucks. And I was like, damn, that's like easy money for us. But how do I incentivize the agents? Because the way that I had the comp structure, it was sell high, sell high, sell high. So I started downselling those to my friends and it was going great. And then one day they're like, hey, um, we can't sell these people. They're there's a lot of poor people here. Can you like credit me for these? And I'm like, shit, I got to find somebody who likes to sell poor people. So I went looking for people that did ACA and there really weren't any. Um, there was a couple guys that had like special deals with characters where they would get leads for free. There was a bunch of other guys that had like these small little tiny local things. There was a lot of face-to-face -face back then. And nobody really did the call center because the commissions were only like in the 20s per month. Where if you look at like the commission on a limited medical or a short-term product, you could be in the, in the 200s a month. So everybody was like, yeah, you're, you're crazy. Nobody's doing that. Well, I started trying uh, to reach out to friends of mine that were doing Medicare and other verticals and said, hey, I know you have agents that are like licensed for ACA and contracted. Why don't you just try these calls? Take them for like 15 bucks. And that, that product today is like a $75 call product for us. But at the time, you know, we're like, all right, just take these particular calls for 15 bucks. And people were like, okay, whatever, we'll try them. A couple of days later, people were like, hey, how do we get more of these? I think there might be a business opportunity here. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so I started gaming people up on how to sell ancillary products and started, you know, giving a couple of different companies a lot of my old management when I shut down my centers in COVID and uh, even prior to that. And it ended up being a really good relationship. During COVID, we shut down our centers, but we kept our Medicare agency, which um, we got rid of to Bain Capital on a fire sale. Everybody's like, oh, big exit. I'm like, mm, no, not big exit. Uh, get me out of that business because we had a partner that was kind of fucking us over. And uh, I had this lifestyle business that was just this great marketing company for many years. And nobody wanted to get into ACA. And I didn't really care because it was convenient. And one of my biggest customers that was most of my business one day calls me. I'm in Europe. I'll never forget. I was in, uh, I was in London getting a coffee. And I remember walking through the aisle being like, are you fucking kidding me? And the guy's like, hey, we need to cut spend by like 80% immediately because uh, we want to sell our company and we need to be diversified. And I'm like, hmm, cool. Not that we helped you build your entire company from the marketing side or anything. No big deal. So we had like four months where I spent every waking minute and I had casually tried in the past trying to get other people to get into ACA. And then successfully, I was able to convince my old company that was acquired that ACA was a good idea. And now they're the largest in the country. Um, and I talked to a few other companies and got them in the space and kind of guided everybody for free. And everyone thought I was crazy and was like, you should be charging for this. I'm like, oh, I am just on the lead side. And so... Um, that's kind of how ACA became really big. I started getting more buyers into it. Everybody thought I was crazy for years. They were like, oh, ACA, is that even a thing? 
like I guess the reason that a lot of people have called me like the and I think it's hilarious the king of ACA because I see the people that call themselves the king of something when I look at these trade shows where people are speaking at stuff and it's like king of data it's like what the fuck do you mean you sell aged leads like king of data <laughs> like there are there are trillion dollar companies built on data you're the king of data fucking what am I doing wrong um, well, Brandon, we called you the king of ACA. You didn't call yourself the king of ACA. That's the difference. That guy on stage called himself the king of leads. That's a bullshit title. So uh, let me let me ask you a couple dumb yeah, questions for, for people that don't understand ACA. So uh, first dumb question, do you have to be licensed to sell ACA like other insurance? Yes, most of the time, yes. So there's uh, you can apply to be a navigator, but there are very specific rules and it, 99.9% of the time, yes. Okay. And what are the economics of a normal ACA phone call? For instance, like what's a back-end CPA? What's a conversion rate? Like how would this compare to like Medicare or another vertical? Sure. So everybody's targets, um, conversion rates drastically differ. I mean, you've got guys that are running crazy aggressive borderline free money ads that you're kind of like confused <laughs> by. Uh, that I wish we could just somehow get rid of because it drives my costs up and it doesn't look good for the industry. You've got guys like that um, that you know might convert at 12% from raw to close. Um, and then you've got you know calls like ours. Our calls, we convert one out of three from raw to close. Like We don't even sell on duration our internal stuff anymore, really, because the majority of the time we're able to generate a sale in three calls. And we're able to write price our calls based on that. That's just, you know, really, I think the, the expertise and the acumen in the vertical. But I think that target CPAs for buyers, look, everybody says 100 bucks. I laugh at them and I say, that's not happening at scale. You want to get a $100 CPA with 10 agents? Yeah, you'll get it. You want to get a $100 CPA with 20 agents? Some days you might get it. $100 CPA doing, you know, 10, 20,000 calls a day? Not going to happen. Just be honest with you. Uh, I always tell people to budget for like a 125, 130 CPA. That's very realistic. I mean, we do over 25,000 calls a day, uh, day in, day out. CPAs are always sitting right around 120, 135 with all buyers. So that's that's kind of where it should end up if you don't suck. But the thing is, you got a ton of guys that get into the space. And, you know, we have a very aggressive program. Um, I tell people, look, don't sell to any of my buyers and I will teach you the entire vertical and I'll give you cap. And then, um, you know, I just kind of, hope that they're into that idea and a lot of people say yeah that sounds great cool let's do it and other people are like yeah no i'm gonna figure it out on my own and usually they end up in another vertical very quickly because the sauce of my business is that and the reason we're able to do a few million a week in revenue is because we have really good internal product that makes up about half of our total calls you know some days it's more like 30 percent. depends where the ROAS is depends where the other you know pubs and affiliates are performing but if a third of my calls are going to come in at a $70 CPA, I can blend down 150 into 120 all day. I mean, it's just basic math. Nobody else has those calls that convert that well. So that's what makes our business special and why it's so big and kind of what keeps us, uh, you know, keeps us alive. But I would say that if somebody was to try to generate calls, look, you know, revenue per call on the affiliate side, since that's probably the most people that are listening here, you have guys that will have you at 16, 18 bucks. Uh, you have guys that'll have you at 20 to 22 bucks. I've got guys that are at like 26, 28 bucks that generate really good quality. And, you know, the ROAS is there. It's just a matter of working with the right people. And a lot of guys think, oh, well, I'll go direct to this one buyer because I know that they buy leads. And it's like, all right, cool, have fun. Well, you'll miss out on the rest of the network when they don't want to take your calls at 3 p.m. And you just draw all your money that you made on the floor. 
So, you know, there's pros and cons. And a lot of guys in the space function as just networks. They don't really do anything internally. They don't really add any value. It's just like, hey, we have a deal. Like anybody can get a deal. It's not about that. It's being able to maintain the relationships and, you know, load balance effectively. So hopefully that was a really long drawn out, but helpful answer. No, I think that was a great answer. You know, I think, awesome. I think you uncovered a few things there that are really important in the call industry. And one is buyer diversification. Understandably, you buy a lot of calls, but anyone in the space should have buyer diversification. And then also, a lot of the media buyers don't understand that you really have to make sure that you're generating calls with angles that work for the buyer in a long-term way. Otherwise, you're going to lose cap. You're going to lose access. And so, yeah, you can generate a bajillion phone calls by telling consumers that they're going to get something for free. But when it doesn't back out, you might not get paid. You might have issues. Um, people are going to kick you off their network. And so, you know, it... it <laughs> What I always found interesting, it was, it was not a lot of work to find an angle that produced nearly as well as, as something like something for free. And I think affiliates really need to pay attention to what they're doing and just put the time in to find the sustainable advertising. And that's how they can work with someone like you and get some dedicated cap and then build a real business, right? I also think something else you said was interesting which is that the backend conversion rate really drives payout. And so payout isn't everything. It is the backend conversion rate. And so if you're working with a call center that converts better than another one, even if they're paying less per phone call, they might make you more money. And so being able to look at that data and understand those conversion rates and the, the, how the money is actually being made is really where affiliates um, can optimize their game in a way that most people are not. And that's where I see where people are making uh, their edge money, right? Like they're using technology to do it, or they're manually doing it or whatever, but they're paying really close attention to the metrics. And then they work really closely with their buyers to understand the CPA, right? Like Brandon, you and I both know this. Most affiliates are not going to ask like, yo, what's your, what's your top affiliate CPA? Like, where do I need to be to be your most quality phone call? Do you ever get that? Dude, I, I actually had uh, at the Geek Out thing, I mean, you were there. I did yeah. uh, I did a brief talk and I talked a lot about that. It's so important to understand the offer that you're marketing because so many of these guys say, well, what's working? Okay, my front end costs look amazing. I'm going to print a ton of money now. And the printer go, but then the cap go by because everybody's <laughs> so focused on where am I going to make the most money quickest? And it's like, what did you want? Did you want a new Lambo or did you want to buy a jet this year? And uh, unfortunately, if you were to ask most affiliates, they would say the second one, but act like the first one. Yeah, I don't think most affiliates are thinking about how to buy a jet, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I only know one and I'm not naming them. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is a really important conversation, especially with uh, what happened at Health IQ, right? Like a lot of people are holding the bag on that right now. And uh, a lot of good people. You know, yeah, a lot of good people. We had we had an amazing a group of amazing clients that called me. Like I think I ha I've spoken to at least fifteen um, that all are probably taking a bath on this, and you know they they all thankfully had buyer diversification. But this is why you know people in the affiliate space need to understand that even a seemingly great company run by tenured entrepreneurs with the world's most prominent money backing them,
can still implode. Um, and that's why it's super important to diversify on the buyer back end uh, and, and to really understand, like you said, what the buyers want and what their offer really is and how it works and what moves the needle for the buyer. And that's the difference between being a business owner and just an affiliate. Um, I, I want to talk about the health IQ thing because yeah, I think it's, I think it's crazy. I said a year ago when people asked me, are you running Medicare? I was like, well, no, I, I told my Medicare agency, we don't have that anymore. So that's not, um, that's not really in the cards. They were like, well, is there anything stopping you? And I'm like, I mean, no, not really, actually. I mean, we still did a little bit with, uh, with them even post uh, post sale, but I just couldn't like, I looked at the market and I couldn't see where it was going to be sustainable or where the longevity was. Like it wasn't what I was sold when I got into it. Um, you know, a few years ago, it just didn't look the same. The landscape was constantly changing. It was getting harder. It was getting tighter. Money was drying up. Stocks were in the shitter. And I was like, I told a lot of people, I mean, a lot of our mutual friends, I said, you know, they're like, Oh, you're crazy. Dude. You're missing out. You're missing out. I'm like, I am missing out, but you know, I'm not taking any risk. There's no 30, 60, 90 day money out there on the street that I have to lose sleep over. I could have made an extra few million dollars for sure. No question, maybe more. But do I want to do that and at what cost? And to me, I would have lost my sanity because I knew something like this was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to be with Health IQ, for example. But I knew that somebody was going to go belly up. And, you know, you look at the bailouts that occurred and you look at where these companies are and they're great companies. I mean, Jesus Christ, like, you know, go health, multi-billion dollar company at one point. And we were one of their larger call center distributors back in the day. Like I look at them and I'm like, if they're not doing well and they were a fantastic or are a fantastic organization, what does that say about the lesser sophisticated guys, you know, that are just kind of the tier below. And, you, you know, I just, I didn't feel really comfortable about it. I told everybody like, Hey, don't, don't run these like 60, 90 day floats with people. Try to make sure you're getting paid as quickly as possible. If, if you have a network that's willing to pay you and they're going to make a couple bucks, sell it to them. And people mm -hmm. were like, no, that's crazy. That's crazy. I'm like, nope. If you got somebody that's going to manage that risk for you, I feel like that's bad risk. When we heard that reinsurers weren't going to insure receivables for some of these companies that I won't name, I mean, that's where it's like, okay, wait. If you can't insure the receivables, that says that somebody much bigger than you or I is saying like, hey, this is, this is not going good. And that to me was a major red flag. And I, I feel terrible for like all the friends I talked to. And, you know, I gave not legal advice to plenty of them. <laughs> yes. We are not lawyers here, everybody. Get your own legal advice. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me just remind our, let me remind our viewers, please get your own legal advice. We are not lawyers. We are hooligans. We translate know that to English. Nothing. Get your own fucking lawyers, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chuck, well, can, you, can you give us the disclaimer from the last episode? Oh, man. Yeah, I'll have to scroll back in my notes, but yeah, we'll just we'll just hop and paste it in the episode, maybe. Well, By the uh, way, I, Brandon, I think this is. Jason, yeah, go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say I'm a shitty, shitty fucking host. I forgot to intro my co-host, and I just want to say we have Adam Young, the CEO of Ringba. We have Harrison Gavertz, and uh, you know it's the fourth episode. I have no excuses. It's I'll a be new better. Year. You're you're rusty. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Also, while I have the opportunity, please make sure to like, follow, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and all our platforms where you can get the Affiliate Marketing Show. Now, pretending like that never happened, um, what do we want to talk about? Should we go into well, our next topic? I have topic? one question Let's for talk you about, really quick. Hold on, hold on, hold on, guys. Let's announce our new search 
for Josh's replacement as host <laughs> on the affiliate marketing show. <laughs> well, honestly, I four episodes. It was a good run. It was three episodes longer than I thought I was gonna make. He it. did so put I, a book honestly, in the background, so that yeah, adds credibility. I'm trying to look a little bit more credible here with with my reading material. I'm sorry, guys. I won't forget that. This is a good lesson learned. You know, sometimes so, you gotta go through a struggle to get. Brandon, I had one question for you before we jump to some other topics. I talked about this on our first episode, but I was curious if the the gig worker economy has been beneficial to your business and 100%. how so if you've have you used that are, are people running campaigns yeah, uh, specifically targeting those people or, or so what? We've talked about it, we've tried it. I think actually um Akative and I talked about doing it going back over a year ago and I just don't think it uh it was as effective as we expected, but it does have a trickle down impact because Right now, the number of people that are insured, um, you know, through Obamacare or through similar products that are like actually addressable, um, there's about 16 million a year. It looks like it might be an uptick this year. Uh, there's 42 million Americans eligible. So we've got a pretty blue ocean opportunity. The biggest issue is that there are a lot of companies that are half in, a foot in, testing the waters, and they're not necessarily doing it the right way. They're going to the, you know, the really big aggregators you would usually only go to when you're like, oh, I can't get any cap or any volume today. Like, oh, this is, you know, this is whatever. I just got to turn these guys on. And they tried to make those their mainstays. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not plugging myself, but I generate more than any few companies combined in this vertical uh, between myself and affiliates by miles. And we're not the cheapest, but we perform really well and consistently. And we're not going to give you you know, the $105 CPA on 100 calls, but we're going to give you the $125 CPA on 20,000 calls. And so I think that a lot of guys that are trying to get into the space, they're like, oh, we're going to figure it out on our own way. We're going to do it quietly. Nobody's going to know about it. And then they just go kind of step in the mud. And they're like, why is my shoe dirty? Oh, no. Now I've got to go to the Nike store and buy shoe cleaner. Or wherever you get shoe cleaner, I don't really know. I don't do that. Footlocker. Uh, yeah, there, there's a huge addressable market, man. There's, you know, two-thirds of the market just about is not currently insured. So I think it just boils down to one, um, you know, developing more agency relationships. And I've spent my last year kind of trying to build the market out, not try to build out our, you know, our business. I mean, our business has been growing organically. It's been fantastic. We have a lot of great affiliates we love. People I've developed great friendships with. Uh, our internal team is phenomenal. We have a bunch of rock stars. Um, everybody works really hard. But my goal and my focus, aside from like managing the day-to-day, -day, has been building models, sending them out to people, trying to get more people that are coming from either Medicare or life and seeing, hey, wait, there's money here. There's a lot of money being thrown at this. and There's clearly a lot of money to be made. Uh, how do I get my piece? And so that's been kind of my focus, a lot of those discussions. And I think the more discussions that I have, and unfortunately, like I'd love for more people to be doing this, but I don't think more people are necessarily qualified to just because of the tenure that I've had in the industry. I wish that I could be like, hey, guy, go talk to all these people about ACA. But unfortunately, it's just like the, the only people that have the information other than me are the guys doing it. And they're not telling anybody, you know, they want to keep that information to themselves. Of course. So that's, that's my focus. My focus is trying to, you know, use that addressable market that's not being touched right now to try to get more folks into the space. And, you know, obviously we know it's going to get saturated. It's going to be probably the next big Medicare type boom where a lot of guys get into it. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of affiliates are just running the most aggressive stuff possible because a lot of these networks just don't care. And the buyer sophistication isn't really there. So it's become a little bit of a headache because my costs go up 
and we're providing an actual product and other people are running free money ads and hoping once they get on the phone, they're like, well, instead of free money, cheap insurance or free insurance might be good. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really not the most fun, but so that's the long drawn out answer to your question. Well, appreciate all the detail, dropping some serious knowledge on uh, ACA and paper call. Um, Let's move on. We got a couple other topics we wanted to get your opinion on. Uh, First off, both of them are kind of related to issues with paid reviews on different sites. Uh, The first one is, I'll do a little brief summary for you guys, but the first one is basically between a site called Smile Prep, which is a uh, review site based on clear alignment or invisible braces products and Smile Direct Club, which is basically the same or similar to Invisalign, you could say. And the NAD, the National Advertising Division, kind of being the mediator between the two parties. But essentially, Smile Direct Club argued that while Smile Prep presents the reviews as impartial, they're not. Rather, to quote, Smile Direct Club says, the clear aligner companies reviewed by Smile Prep are forced to either pay affiliate link commissions to Smile Prep or be unfairly disadvantaged in Smile Prep's rankings and reviews. Smile Prep then countered by arguing that there is a separation between the editorial staff doing the rankings and review and the staff handling the affiliate relationships and that the affiliate partners have no right to review or approve the site contact. Therefore, Smile Prep argued the content is true editorial and NAD has no jurisdiction to address it. Here's where I thought it got a little interesting and also a little obvious, but the NAD rejected Smile Prep's challenge to NAD jurisdiction on two very important bases. One, although Smile Prep is not selling products and the content is available for free, and I quote, a sale is not necessary for the content to be considered advertising. That kind of jumped out to me like a, a duh kind of moment to me. But further, the advertiser's claims about the independence and geniusness of its reviews to quote, promote its review content and persuade consumers to the value of the service that the website provides, end quote, and is therefore advertising for the site. That's point one. Point two, and then we'll get everybody's take on this. Although Smile Prep's content is not the clear aligner company's own advertising, since those companies did not pay for, disseminate, approve, or otherwise control the product claims, the content is quote unquote advertising because of the impact of the affiliate links. So Harrison, I wanna get your take on this first. Isn't it kind of obvious that a sale is not necessary for something to be considered advertising? And then of course I'll, not. Yeah, and then I'll just kind of open it up to get your thoughts I mean, on the whole thing. I, I mean, you could get anyone to leave a review, anyone, <laughs> which you know leaves the door extremely wide open. I think the biggest issue here is that it's kind of a, it, there's no way to prove either basis of this, right? So how do you know that those reviews are real? How, how do you prevent someone that didn't make a purchase? from just leaving a review that maybe is the cousin of the guy on the editorial team or the affiliate relationship team. I think that if there was a way to utilize a third-party service to list those reviews so that it was not under control by, you know, the blog site that was Smile Prep, uh, you might be able to have a clean, clean environment for this. But let's be honest, do you trust reviews on the internet Brandon, <laughs> I used uh, to like 10 years ago, you know, maybe 15. I, I, think, I think it depends. If I'm on Amazon and this person- I was just about to say. Videos, dude, if I see pictures and videos, that's my thing. Like 
if somebody has shown me a picture of the food at the restaurant, I'm trusting them. Don't care what you say. If they say the food sucked and I see a picture and the food sucks, I'm like, okay, probably sucks. If they show me a picture and they're like, look at the ambiance, and I'm like, okay, this place looks like a vibe. I would go there. I'm probably trusting them. Now, if somebody tells me that this Invisalign is going to fix my teeth in three weeks or this weight loss supplement is going to take 20 pounds off in a month, sorry, I'm probably not going to buy it because, dude, honestly, if I knew that there was a weight loss product that would take 20 pounds off in six, you know, like two months or whatever that wasn't methamphetamine, bro, I would be on that shit like right on rice. I'm pretty sure it's called raspberry ketones. <laughs> I prefer acai berry personally. I'm old school. I was going to say, hey, I got a little Garcinia Cambogia. What's up, Adam? So, Josh, you know, I think the interesting thing about what you said and Brandon said and Harrison said is like, look, I can have my cousin go buy a product, take a picture of it, say it's awesome. He's a legitimate consumer now. He took a picture of the product. He says it's awesome. And so I think... I've seen this on was, Facebook. Like, hey, friends, does anyone want this? This is a real example. They're not in the industry. It was like, hey, friends, I just started... I just released my own ice cream scooper. If anyone wants to buy it and sends me the receipt, I'll PayPal you the money for it. I just want some reviews. That's real. Yeah, exactly. There's whole Facebook groups on... Uh, there's like on Amazon, for instance, there's hundreds of thousands of people in them. And some of these groups have been shut down before. I've seen it before where that you literally go there and you're like, hey, I'll do the same thing, Harrison. I'll give you the $50 for the product and I'll pay you an extra 20. You get to keep the product and just leave a great review. And so, you know, I think the premise of how the review is generated is what what these agencies is going to they're going to start looking at or they're really going to dive into but at the same time you know it's almost impossible to police the millions and hundreds of millions of reviews that are that are on these sites and i i just don't see it as a problem that's going to get resolved on the other side of that coin if you're launching a product and it's a new product you have to be very careful about whether these reviews are legitimate consumers or how they were generated. And I would almost say that new products, if they're going to be thinking about these methods, one, consult your own legal advice, but two, um, they need to start paying attention to where the reviews came from and work extra hard to have an awesome product and service that people actually love without incentivizing the reviews. Um, and I think the more and more the government presses on these issues related to reviews, the more it's going to force people to make better products and the more it's going to be a problem for, for instance, Chinese sellers who are just flooding the market with junk uh, to really move their businesses forward. And that's another major issue is a lot of the people who are in violation of these rules uh, or causing the vast majority of the review-based issues are foreign organizations that are selling in the United States and, and the government has absolutely no recourse to stop them. Um, and so it has created a sort of an unfair playing field. And then these American companies try and do the same thing and they get slapped. Um, so it's just kind of a shitty situation. I, I agree right. pretty wholeheartedly with what Adam said about it being impossible to police. I mean, how are you going to go look at every review that's ever been made and say, is this legitimate? Is this illegitimate? Looking at, you know, like the idea that listicle crackdowns are happening on, on like Invisalign of all things or Invisalign competitors, sorry. Like, dude, there are so many more aggressive, most more messed up industries in like the e-com space. And they're like, yeah, this thing that's supposed to straighten your teeth, man. That's what we're going after. Forget these like fake weight loss pills for $80 a month on subscription with a $2 trial. Forget those. 
Uh, I think we're products really... that are just like killing people. Yeah, that too. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, hello, would you like some illegal substances in a package that looks really pretty and says you might get healthier? You'll get six pack abs if you try this thing that might kill you. And, you know, the crazy thing is consumers, uh, you know, read a couple. And that's, I think, where the, the concern comes in. They read a couple of reviews and they're like, even if it's too good to be true, I got to try it. But I think that this this particular incident, I mean, of all the things you could crack down on, I think there's definitely better things they could spend their time on, in my opinion. But it, it does, uh, you know, cause some concern for other industries, too, because, you know, reviews are important and it's impossible to police them. So who's going to be the one that decides whether or not the reviews are legitimate and what's going to be considered a legitimate review? And then how do you prevent somebody from spamming illegitimate reviews? What do you do in that case? You know, do you just disable comments on, on the entirety of the Internet? Like, that's crazy. So I don't know. I mean, I think there's some far-reaching implications that go way beyond Invisalign competitors. But at the same time, I know nothing about these, you know, this particular instance. There could have been a bunch of people that got their, like, gums poisoned or, like, you know, there could be another tort coming soon or something crazy, <laughs> right? You don't know. But I, I think regulation breeds innovation. It was kind of like you said, uh, Adam. It forces companies to build better products. When somebody comes in and says, hey, you need to do better, you need to be better or else, they're, well, they're going to have to be better or else. So, Yeah, and so yeah, we yeah. also have this, this other one that's pretty egregious, Brandon, and it's the Washington State Attorney General, and they sued a plastic surgeon uh, for violation of the Consumer Review Fairness Act. And so for those that are unaware, the Consumer Review Fairness Act states that you can't stop consumers from writing reviews, basically, like they have their First Amendment rights, you can't limit them. And so this plastic surgeon was forcing customers to sign non-disclosure agreements that required that they wouldn't leave bad reviews. And then if they did leave bad reviews, they would bribe the consumer to remove them. Uh, but then the consumer had to sign again, another NDA stating that they would remove it and then never post uh, publicly poorly about the company again. And the Washington Attorney General is taking serious issue with this. And I think this is a really, really big warning to people in the affiliate space that are building products. Like you cannot engage in this type of behavior. There are ways to manage reviews that are friendly, uh, that do not require you to try and slam consumers into a product. And I think the plastic surgeon made a really big mistake here because obviously his services uh, are changing people's bodies by like cutting them and shit. And so it's, um, they were just asking for it. Um, yeah, how do you feel about this, Brandon? Dude, I, I personally, this one, I have the complete opposite stance. I don't think this is impossible. I think this is a real thing that should be taken seriously, man. I mean, <clears throat> this is a, an actual fun fact. I had a collarbone surgery from a snowboarding incident where I was just texting and snowboarding. Apparently, it's way more dangerous than texting and driving because uh, texting and driving, you know, listen, I'm just saying, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, never got into an accident. Texting and snowboarding, broke a collarbone. But um, when I broke my collarbone, I was like, oh, no, um, I'm fucked. I'm going to be, like, bedridden for, you know, 12 weeks, basically. Not bedridden, but incapable of activity. You know what? I'm going to get rid of my love handles because I was really fat as a kid. So I went and tried getting lipo, true story. And I uh, went to this guy that was really highly rated in Boca. And of course, anytime you have like a bad experience, be like, oh, you should have called me. I would have sent you to the guy that would have been way better. But uh, yeah, it was really highly ineffective. It cost me 15 grand. And they called me to say, hey, would you like to, you know, come in and do a follow-up appointment? I'm like, no, I want you to never talk to me again. This was a massive <laughs> waste of money. And like, I'm not happy with this result. You just greased me for money. 
So they were like, oh, we'd love to do another surgery and make it right. I'm like, fuck you. I'm good. I'll keep my love handles. I'm great. That was not fun. So, so Brandon, I, how did you come across this this surgeon in the first place? Was it a uh, word of mouth thing or? Uh, no, it was looking up reviews, but, uh, you know, it was reviews and the interview <laughs> process. You know, right, you know what? I'm with, I'm with the NAD and I'm with Washington. Let's go. No, but <laughs> on a note, you know, this guy, they, they weren't, uh, they handled it the right way. I mean, they were like, wow, we're really sorry. You're unhappy. Um, we'd love to, you know, we'll do another one on us to make it right type thing. And I was like, I don't think I really want to go under the knife twice in a couple months. Uh, especially because I was like, I didn't really need this. I just thought it would be cool. And, uh, it wasn't. And so, yeah, I mean, to me, they didn't say don't write a negative review. I just didn't write one because I'm not a terrible person and I don't try to destroy people's businesses, except there was this one time and I'll tell you guys a review story. Um, I, I, I know don't this have, is going to be good. <laughs> I don't have a personal army on the internet. I want to start by saying that. Um, so I went to a place in New York and I was invited out with a bunch of friends. Uh, I think some competitors of yours and we were invited to go to a bar and it was very cold and we got there and they were like, Oh yeah, sorry. You don't have any girls with you. And I'm like, well, yeah, we have, you know, a friend of ours who is a girl that has other girls that are inside. They're like, yeah, we, we don't like guys in right now like this. And I'm like, what? Like there's, there's literally a table there. I will spend money here. That's usually how the club, I used to run a club. Like that's how clubs work. And they're like, yeah, we just, we can't let any more guys in. So she comes out and she's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, cool. And the guy started being like really disrespectful. So I vented my frustration to a not personal army. And, uh, it went from like 4.4 stars to like one and change very quickly. And then uh, I, I felt bad at first. I mean, we were laughing. We were laughing our asses off. Um, but I felt kind of bad because I was like, man, you know, like these people, the, the guy who owns this club probably doesn't deserve this. That, that manager should probably just be fired and maybe go like bar back somewhere. But um, I was just like, oh, that's kind of brutal. Fortunately, you know, they have good policing policies on Google specifically, obviously not on privately owned blogs and listicles, but um you know, so Google was like, hey, these are probably illegitimate for the most part. And then, of course, a bunch of people were like, hey, they took my review down. I'm putting another one. Um, but it is it, it's a very powerful thing, reviews. And I think that they're important for consumers to make intelligent decisions and to try to suppress free speech for the purpose of like your own financial gain. I, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a First Amendment issue, I think. And I wrote all, that on my notes, especially the plastic surgery one. I was like, isn't this the, a violation of your The plastic amendment? surgery one is really bad. The idea of like saying, you know, fake reviews or potentially fake reviews that it's impossible to prove, that part to me, it's like, okay, how do we know the reviews are real? How do we know the reviews are fake? There's a lot of ambiguity there. And obviously I'm not a decision maker in this one and uh, or in either one. But to me, I think it's going to be a moving target to prove that the reviews were or were not valid. And in the event that they know the reviews weren't valid, I mean, they could have gotten some legitimate reviews. It's not overly difficult to get testimonials or to you know, reach back out to customers if the product is half decent. And that goes back to what Adam was talking about. But on the plastic surgeon thing, that's terrible to be like, oh, you had a bad experience? Don't, don't tell anyone. Remember, you signed a paper. You can't tell anyone. Yeah, it's okay that you were on like a ton, ton, ton of uh, borderline sleeping meds and anesthesia. Like, it's okay. Just you remember, you signed this. Don't tell anyone. Remember that NDA you signed while under the knife? <laughs> yeah. Well, you were, the you best were just time to get to someone to sign a contract, boys, is when they're highly under the influence. This is not legal advice. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yo, but, but you know, like you said, Brandon, there's plenty of ways to actually do review policing. As long as it's not your personal army uh, destroying someone's business. And like, if you get a bad review, you can contact the customer. You can offer them replacement goods. You can try and make it right. And then you can still ask them again, like, hey, we tried to make it right. Are you willing to adjust the review? I feel like we went above and beyond for you. Things aren't perfect, but we tried. And then if they don't, they don't. But sometimes and, they will. Yeah. And there's responses, too. Like, I've seen companies very well, like, handle these very, very well and be like, look, I understand you were upset. We tried reaching out to you. You didn't respond to us. Clearly, you know, this is very extreme, what you're saying when compared to all of our other reviews. If you want to reach out to us, here's our contact information for the 50th time. Uh, we would love to try to help solve this, resolve this, whatever. When I see a company do that, I'm like, you know what? If every review isn't them saying that, then they're probably a legitimate business. And mm -hmm. that actually looks better to me, that somebody said something negative and they handled it with such tact or poise. But I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that – I think this guy is screwed and I think he's a schmuck. And, you know, it goes to show you that, you know, doctors are doctors. They have a degree, but it doesn't necessarily make them smart people. Well, another another point that I wrote down is that I, I – and I – I don't believe this. the complaint addressed it. I did read it, but I'm, if I missed it, I missed it. I wonder if this is the first step, and the next step is that the medical boards of Washington State will get involved um, because, you know, right now this is the AG. So is, is this guy's license at, list, uh, at risk? Sorry, you know what I mean? Like that was kind of what I was thinking, and only time will tell. Um, I would assume I would so. so. <laughs> I would think so. I would hope so. I would hope so. Exactly. I'm like, if I'm going under the knife and this guy did that, I probably would be reconsidering. If it's him or the other guy that has no issue with this, I would go <laughs> to the other guy. At the same time, I, I have a feeling that this is not the only plastic surgery office in the country, in the state of Washington or the country that might have some aggressive non-disparagement or non-disclosure agreements that they present to clients before they sign. I think the I got to go check the contract. Yeah, dude. <laughs> You're gonna get a C and D for your for your failed lipo. <laughs> so, Brandon, well, I think the reality is, if you're if you're trying to be fair to consumers and you're trying to be fair to your customers, uh, you're never gonna get it a hundred percent. But like you said, Brandon, if you're willing to reach out, you're willing to try and solve the issue. It's really that simple. You don't have to post a reply that defends your position or tries to make you win the review trial, right? Like, it's just simply like, hey, we're really sorry you had a bad experience. Please contact us. We'll do what we can to try and help you out. And that's customer service. It's literally all you have to do is, oh, you're unhappy? I'm really sorry. Right or wrong? Like, how can I help? And I think that's that's the difference between success and failure. Hey, that's Brandon. I have a question, you know, as a super attractive, sexy 30-year-old man as yourself li living in Las Vegas, are you still hitting the club scene? And what's your, Dude, your social so life looking like in Vegas right now? Well, I actually, I got to tell you, I and Harrison, fuck you. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm leaving. <laughs> so, I had to take a second. Okay. Um, so I hate, I actually, uh, I really don't like going out to clubs too much. It's not really my favorite thing. I used to run a club. I know what the margins are at clubs. And uh, I had a really terrible New Year's experience at a club. Um, it was actually a good friend in the industry introduced me to a partner at one of these big clubs. I'm not going to name it because I don't – it's not that big of a deal. But, you know, I'm ordering and they do all these crazy presentations. And, you know, they're like, oh, we'll have somebody come down from the ceiling and bring you a bottle if you spend this much. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really care. 
<laughs> no, I'm good. I'm actually good. They're like, what? Don't you think that's really cool? I'm like, no, I'm a bunch of exotic <laughs> cars and I got a big house. Like, I'm good. I don't actually have to impress anybody with a bottle coming down from the ceiling for 10 grand. And uh, they were like, well, are you sure the girls really like it? I was like, I don't know any of those girls. In fact, all of those girls just appeared here uh, by way of one of my friends. And I know none of them, so I could care less what they like. I drink tequila. I'll get some vodka for those that don't. And that'll be that. So comes back, you know, has me sign this tab. And this is where this is where it gets to be like one of these issues we're talking about earlier. Ten minutes later, a bottle comes down from the ceiling. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. And, you know, I don't really care too much about money at all. Like, I don't. But I was like, hmm, I wonder how much that bottle was. So an hour and a half later, she comes back. The bottle's already been killed. And I go, hey, I'm, I'm just curious. Like, how much was that bottle you finessed me into? Because I didn't order that. And you also only brought me one mag tequila and i ordered two and i was waiting on a third so let's order two more she was like oh um wait what and i'm like yeah you you were very well aware like i'm not stupid that i didn't order this bottle of uh of champagne and she's like yeah uh, i asked if you wanted it and i'm like right and i told you i don't like champagne i do not want champagne like I, there was no more green eggs and ham sam i am way that i could have presented this like <laughs> i do not like champagne and so how much was it and she acted like she didn't know how much it was she was like um let me grab the the book and picks it up. I'm like, bitch, you know how much this shit is. This is your job. You're hustling me. It was $9,995. And I was like, bro. <laughs> bro. <laughs> so I said to we I didn't talk like, about this yesterday. <laughs> we did. And I Not said, look, dude, we got a problem. So, yeah, well, the rest of it, I'll tell the rest of the story because I think it's pretty funny. So, uh, I'm like, this can't be real. Um, this is like actually my life. I don't really care about the money, but I go off because principle to me is everything. And I don't really appreciate being finessed out of money. So I like talk to the director there. I'm pissed. I send a letter to one of the partners uh, of the company that owns the club. I'm pissed. I send him like an email or a text at like 3 a.m. from his own club. Um, and I was not, I was just not having it. But after like an hour, I was like, whatever. I mean, it's just money. I don't care. Uh, I made them switch the server, even though they probably pull. So I don't think that worked out to my advantage, but whatever. And they gave me a free magnum of tequila. So I really only got fleeced for like six grand. Um, I was actually under my minimum. So technically maybe like seven or eight. But that's a fair fleecing. That's a yeah, fair fleecing. It's pretty substantial. Yeah. It's bad enough that I'm like, I don't think I'm going to go back there. <laughs> but I'm not sure I'm going to write a review. And I don't know if I signed an NDA when I when I purchased the bottles and the table. Um, so then we left and we go to – and I hate strip clubs. This is something everybody knows about me. If you know me, there are people on my team that will go. I will not go. I hate strip clubs. Why do you hate them? They're so great, dude. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's just not my vibe. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, so I, I, t I have a, a thing that I tell girls when I first get to a strip club, that when they sit down and they, like, try to figure out if you're going to give them money. I've dated dancers before. I didn't even know they were dancers. I will not give you money. I have no desire to give you money. In fact, uh, I will give you conversation in lieu of money. And I had one uh, a few months ago and I got dragged out or two months and a half ago, months ago, whatever it was. I got dragged out to strip club last month. And uh, I was there for like an hour and then I left. I did like the Irish goodbye thing. I'm going to go to the bathroom. But when I sat down, this girl sits next to me that did not find attractive, to be clear, and sits next to me and is like, hey, uh, blah, blah. And I tell her the exact same thing. I'm not going to give you money. Go make your money. I understand. Go hustle. Go make your money. I'm not the guy. If you want to talk and you're having a slow night, come talk. Like, I'm good. She goes, well, why is it that you think that you should, you know, you should get to take up my time and you don't have to pay me? And I was like, you know, that's a really good question. So let's talk about it. <clears throat> so let's say that I charge 10000 an hour for my time. I know that you do not charge 10000 an hour for your time. So if I'm going to sit here and talk to you for an hour, 
do I invoice you or how does this work? And she was just like, holy shit, well played. And she stayed and hung out for like two hours and uh, we became Instagram friends. Um, but, but the question again, is, did you send her the invoice? Uh, dude, you know, she didn't give me a, a valid email or mailing address. <laughs> so, so we go to the strip club. Okay, we go to the strip club on New Year's, right? We're there and I'm annoyed. I don't want to be there, but I got dragged out by guys that work with me, whatever. So we're there, I'm ready to leave. And there was this group of people from Ohio <clears throat> that are friends with a friend of one of my guys that works with me. So um, she's sitting there with her two friends from Ohio. We're all just sitting at a separate table with no dancers. And I'm like, this is actually okay. I'm sitting here in a quiet area talking to people that are cool, like, that's fine. And I'm like, you know, guys, it's about that time for me. I'm gonna go order some IHOP and go home. And they're like, oh, we're so hungry. Dude, at five in the morning, I ended up bringing these three people I've never met in my life back to my house. We ate IHOP on my couch. They left at 5.45, and I went to bed. That was my <laughs> And Harrison says to me, Harrison says to me, Brandon, how was your New Year's? And I was like, it was great. He lo- he's like, it looks like it was really fun. I was like, yeah, it was really expensive. He was like, really? I was like, yeah, it was like 26 grand. And he goes, oh, but, you know, I mean, you got laid, right? I'm like, no. <laughs> so if you want to ask me how my social life in the club scene is, bro, let me game you up. I like to snowboard. I like to surf. If you guys are at lead gen world and you guys surf, like I'll be out uh, in Pacific beach, mission beach. I got a house there. I'll probably be out on the water, um, you know, over the weekend, but surfing, snowboarding, hiking, eating good food. That's my social life. You know, Brandon, if, uh, if you ever need more Ohioans to eat, I have with late at night, hit me up because I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. All right. So if you you need me, let me know. Hop on a Uh, plane. Affiliate summits in a couple weeks. I was going to say, what are the, what is your what's your trade show schedule, uh, Bowski? We can coordinate uh, a late night IHOP with me, you, and Let's Josh. Go. <laughs> I would uh, also like a- to introduce you to some club promoters. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've got a couple strippers I'd love to introduce you to that I'm sure your wife would approve of. Um, <laughs> no, but I'll be at Lead Gen World. I'll be at Affiliate Summit. Um, and uh, I'll be here for all those days. I'll probably have people over for drinks and cigars at my place. Obviously, three of you guys are welcome. Any of my other friends that listen to this, you're more than welcome. Uh, I got a big backyard with a basketball, tennis, all this shit, big pool, hot tub. Yeah, so plenty of room, lots of area to smoke cigars and have a couple cocktails and all that fun stuff. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, well, I hope that we can see you in Vegas. Um, thanks for coming on the show, Brandon. This was a Dude. great uh, a first introduction for me and you, and uh, I'm sure it was great for Adam, the CEO of Ringba and Harrison Gewurz, to see you <laughs> as well. Um, and we want to thank you for coming on. You know, Do you want to such... plug anything? You We didn't actually name your company. You know. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. so uh, I, I have this cool company called Minerva Marketing. We're building a bunch of really cool technology on the side. Some pretty neat AI stuff. Basically, what uh, all the conversational AI products wishes uh, wish that they could be when they grow up, we, we built that. Um, and then some. So that's coming to market in January. Um, I started doing recently, I'll, I'll plug one thing. I started doing a, an AMA series. You can find the link in my bio on Instagram uh, at Kalbowski or just hit me up. But, Send uh, it to I'm us. Doing, we'll put it in the description. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing this weekly AMA series, bringing on guests and stuff. It's... it's uh, very like podcast-esque, except it's just rapid fire of questions from the chat. And, you know, right now it's just a few hundred people that tune in, but uh, I think it'll grow pretty rapidly. And uh, I think it's going to be really fun. So that's all I got. 
Well, thanks, Appreciate man. I hope, you, yeah, I hope we could have you back on later in the year. You know, we're definitely going to be doing some repeat guests, and I have a feeling our, yeah. our viewers and listeners are going to be a fan of this one. Um, yeah. So, for Josh, Adam. From- <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you have to watch. The if you're YouTube. on Spotify, Brandon just gave me the finger, which was okay. appropriate. So. Yeah. <laughs> For Josh from OfferVault.com, Adam, the incredible CEO of Ringba, Harrison Gewurz, and our dude, Brandon Bowski. Let's make that paper. Let's make that dough. This was the Affiliate Marketing Show. We will see you guys next time. Yeah, I mean, I'm typically walking around like, holding my dick on the second day of the exhibit hall. Please don't use that as the episode opener.